Alrighty, guys, we are fortunate now to welcome Adam Juan Yus, creative director and co-founder of Wishfully Creative Director of Planet of Lana. Adam, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here and talking to you. I am grateful that you were willing to join. As I told you prior to recording, uh, one of the most requested interviews I've gotten in a long time. So that's pretty darn cool and no pressure, right? That's uh, that's amazing to hear and, and so excited. I'm excited uh, to talk to you about it. Now, before we talk about Planet of Lana proper, uh, you're the co-founder of Wishfully and the studio was founded in 2018. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Tell me a bit about that studio. So our studio, uh, we're quite a small indie, indie game studio in um, in Sweden, Gothenburg uh, is where we're based. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's this is our debut game, and it all started back in 2018 uh, when me and my ex-wife actually started the studio f- from the from the beginning, and then it kind of spiraled, and more and more um, founders uh, came on to the team, and then we started Wishfully Studios actually early 2019, um, and then you know it was it's it's been a long journey. I can I can tell you that because we we started. Um, so both, most of us that found, or all of us that founded this studio had never worked in the game industry before. We were, um, like me, myself, I, I knew a lot about games as a consumer, but I didn't know anything about the industry or how to actually make games. So you can imagine it's, it's been a long journey, uh, getting, getting to this point of, of releasing our first game and getting awesome reviews and, and feedback from players and, and, and everyone. So, um, yeah, it's been a long journey. Um, and, and here we are. So that begs the question, if you didn't have prior experience in the gaming industry, how did you learn all the necessary skills to create a video game, much less one that's so well revered? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think, um, uh, I mean, just jumping out there, basically. So I, I was lucky enough to, I ran um, a small uh, film production company or animation production company. And so I was able to work on the side on in, on that. And then I could put a lot of time into Planets of Lana for over um, two years. And mm-hmm. we were a lot of founders who were working on the side. And so it basically enabled us to have almost a three-year pre-production period like when we did our like vertical slice of the game and as we did that we pitched the game to a lot of publishers and the likes uh, on different game conferences and you know we got feedback and we iterated and we learned from our mistakes and I think that was really what enabled us to do a really good game was that we because if we would have gotten like a, a publishing deal early, the game probably wouldn't have gotten as good because mm-hmm. it was that kind of long process of struggling um, with with uh, finding out like how how the puzzle design should work, like how the, the, the graphical style, this 2.5D style we have with this mix of um, 3D and 2D and all that. It's, it, it took so long to kind of like settle down into what the game is now and i think mm-hmm. i mean the, the long production is uh, and pre-production before we we actually started so the actual production started in 2020 so it was almost three years of of actual like uh, production but that that long period before where we 
could try things where we could fail and um, redo stuff really was key. And then, I mean, we just have such a talented team also. And then for later on in the project, we got people, programmers that have been doing games before. So like the technical side of things were kind of covered. Uh, but on, from a game design perspective and, you know, running a game studio and all that, we have never done that before. For you to have pitched it to multiple publishers uh, and the way you worded it, that implies rejection on that front. Uh, and and you said the, the word failures. Did, did Is that what took place and is that what forced you into refinement? Uh, yeah, definitely. So the, whole, the, the project started... Uh, with me um, like painting this key art that we still have as our main key art in all the promotions and which is still the box art. So I, I painted that in Photoshop and got kind of the core idea. And then, so so my idea was that I, I, I decided I was gonna finish this project, but I was thinking much more smaller scale, maybe me and a programmer. And then mm-hmm. my ex-wife joined, she had project uh, management background and marketing background. And then it kind of just spiraled. But in the beginning, it was like a 2D game, much more like retro, like Prince of Persia or like Another World, those old games where they have this like grid system Mm -hmm. and frame by frame animations. Um, And it's this like animation system that makes it look nice in a retro way, but it's also makes it sluggish. And and we didn't have this 2.5D depth of the game for the first iteration. So after half a year after we started in, two, in autumn of 2018, and we were a, few, a, a half year later, we pitched the game for the first time at a game co- proper game conference. And then we have, had this little, very tiny demo of the game. And that was much more flat. You know, It wasn't that depth. And it was all 2D uh, frame-by-frame animations. And we noticed that all like the players at the um, conference, they were like so excited seeing our like art, like the key art and everything like that, and the whole like um, verbally verbal pitch of it. Um, but to publishers, we showed this demo and we you know explained the whole scope and everything, and we got quite um, uh, we got quite uh, tough um, feedback that like that wouldn't cut it. Like we've sold this really epic immersive cinematic experience and that it didn't like marry with this like technology that we were that we had at that time so then we went back to the drawing board and and thought about it and then redid it uh in and taking in doing it more with having having the characters in 3d so we could have uh, a dynamic uh, animation system so we could get much more tighter controls and like that balance of um of um, uh, uh, direct feedback when you're when you're controlling the character and having still having nice animations uh, is of course much more doable when you're doing it in 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 the in 3D with a 3D animation system in the engine. So that was a big thing, and also that we took it to 2.5D where we could have this depth in the world while still keeping you know this hand painted look. Um, um, as we have in the game, which I think we've succeeded with very well, but that was also a long journey going from two from all two D to two point five five D in the final look that we have now, and I think that took almost over three years, I would say, until we had this look that we have now, because it was also when our very talented 
lead level designer Rickard Karlsson came into the team also uh, and also the second art game artist on the project Jimmy Chan that really and everyone in the team really contributed with so much you know both with in the technical aspect and in the art department to kind of create this final look and uh, responsivity in the controls and everything to be able to to tell this like immersive cinematic um, story. So yeah, it was a long rant. I hope that answered your question. That, it, that, that did and then some, and I appreciate it. You, you began with that art that you painted in, you said Photoshop? Yeah. Is that right? Exactly. What kind of art style would you say it is? Like not watercolor, not hand painted, but kind of elements of both. How would you describe that art style? I would say that, I, like we call I we call it hand painted, but it's not hand painted in the sense that we draw it on paper, scan it in, and you know do it mm-hmm. that kind of way. But it's that hand painted feel, right? And I would say that it's a mix between like oil, gouache, and 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 water uh, watercolors, mm-hmm. and somewhere in between that. So it's it's really for me, it's never been like the process of it. Um, has never been as important as the actual output of how it looks, like how the final um, final game looks. Mm-hmm. And and we've used so many mixed techniques of, you know, we both have 3D objects in there where we like pre-baked lighting and then painted on top of that. And like, and then we have a lot of like assets that are painted from the ground up in Photoshop. And it's it's all a mix of so many, so many things that, create that final look um yeah gotcha at the core of our our story as as players play through i think at the core of it is a relationship between lana and her sister but that's not to say you're playing with her sister in fact you have a companion throughout the game yes that's correct mui tell me yes mui tell me a bit about uh the story that you wanted to tell and why lana and mui needed to be together to tell it. It was really, I mean, the, the story has evolved a lot of, over the years and I've co-directed the game with uh, Klaus Eriksson, who's also the script writer. So he took that kind of core story idea uh, and and evolved it to an actual script, uh, like more, much more fleshed out. And it's evolved a lot over the years, but in the core idea, it's always been this story of this young girl, Lana, and her cute creature companion and them going out on this adventure, epic adventure together on this planet. And it was really important um, part of the core idea that it wasn't going to be a cooperative game, right? So that's also a question that we got a lot from publisher. Can't you make it cooperative so we can play it together with a friend or like with your kid or whatever? But I really wanted like the core idea is to kind of get that um, try to create that bond that you get with a dog in real life. So you have this like companion that you can give commands to, but it's not, you can't control, you can't jump around and do whatever you want, but it, you still have to relate to, um, to, to, to that, yeah, that relationship that you have. Um, and I thought that was really an interested, interesting thing that I wanted to, to explore and that, yeah, that's like the core of the whole thing. So it's 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 of course this grander like epic story in Planet of Lana, 
but also at its core, it's also that relationship that's a huge part of the game between Lana and this creature companion. And I, f- I find it so interesting that it's become so much better than I would have thought that thought actually, because you you can really tell what like when we have when we've seen players play the game that you really connect to Mui and like you care about her very early just through you know your collaboration with her and like and people have told me that they don't feel alone while they play the game they feel that they have this creature with them as they play so i think that's that's a really uh, fun feedback to to get that we succeeded with that it seems quite appropriate too because in our journey uh very early on in our story lana loses access to the people of her village and there's a sense of loneliness and determination to uh, get her people back from uh, invaders. And in discovering Mui, suddenly, I don't know if, if this is putting words in your mouth or in the mouths of players, but it feels like with that companion, you're not alone. And because you're not alone, you can do it. Uh, is that something that you guys strove for? Yeah, definitely. That's very deliberate. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it's a kind of, I mean, she, she in the beginning, uh, it, it's, it's not that big spoilers because it's what happens first in the game. As you say, uh, this robot army is invading your planet and Lana is forced out of her village with all the people getting uh, taken away. And she's all alone in the, in the wilderness and then finding this little creature, Mui, she kind of f- finds her her new hope and together they they uh, together they are strong and i mean that's also the core of the whole for people that haven't played the game that's the core of the whole kind of gameplay um in the game that like what lana can do and what mui can do separately and together is really the core of the whole experience so mui can jump higher than you or fit into tight spaces and um and then yeah together you have to collaborate to sneak past the robots and other dangerous things and work together to to solve the the puzzles of the world really fun balance i think between lana and mui in terms of what they can and can't do to your point mui can jump higher get into smaller spaces but we can't break boards or uh, turn certain uh, levers and such so i think the balance is useful now i fell in love with very early on the mechanics of the game now in some ways, I think listeners uh, who haven't seen footage were describing a 2D platformer, but something you guys do it wishfully uh, very successfully, I think, is teach the player how to use the mechanics of the game ahead of solving a puzzle with those mechanics. I'm sure, and I think you alluded to this earlier on, that puzzle solving and the teaching of the player was deliberate based on feedback? I mean, we had a very... Since what I was touching uh, on before, that we had such a long like pre-production, mm-hmm. and we actually we made the whole game like all the puzzles um, in a puzzle prototype as well, but only the puzzle part. Mm-hmm. So not like, and that was very like you know very ugly graphics and everything like very prototypey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really helped us test all the puzzles a lot before they were actually made. Uh, mm-hmm. by the programmers. This was one of our game designers that could do that to visual scripting and such. And we could like create all the puzzles and test it a lot 
um, that was really the the core um, core like that was how we were able to really pinpoint on how we should introduce all the mechanics in a different way and we also decided very early on to make the game uh, you know slightly more approachable than like limbo or inside to have it more like uh, but still you know still s- trying to strike that balance of having it like so people easily can get into it and not get frustrated but still having the puzzles that are interesting and still pose a challenge that you can feel smart and um and that they are interesting so and that's such a hard balance to 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 strike and i think i think we i'm i'm very happy with um with how it all ended up in planet of lana uh, and and i would say that it's uh, a lot of testing and iteration that's uh, made it possible. So when you're testing those puzzles, does that mean you're like finding a friend be like, hey, go solve this for us and like watching how they solve it before you decide what the right balance is? Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, question because you can test things in a, a lot of ways. And that was also mm-hmm. something that we needed to, needed to figure out how to do in the best way. And we... Um, so we didn't, in, depending on what we wanted to kind of answer, we tested it in different ways. But at its core, yes, like letting friends or friends of friends and such try the game and then recording the screen um, and then letting them talk freely. Like, how is your like thought process uh, in this puzzle? Like, okay, I see this thing. Maybe I should use that with that. And then that can happen and then you realize okay what we thought was super obvious is not obvious at all mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of things like that it's it's so hard uh, making good puzzles and i have to give a lot of credit to uh, don faxe our, our lead puzzle designer mm-hmm. uh, and and the puzzles really changed for uh, like became so much better when he took that role and he actually started as technical animator and then, like halfway through the project, we realized that he was uh, a genius when it came to that kind of <laughs> creating logical puzzles. It's really a skill and, and very, very, very hard, I think. Was there ever a point where the game was too hard or too easy? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, we've definitely had to. We, we've done so much puzzles that we scrapped and, uh, and, and tested and changed and up until quite late in the project. Um, because it's also that it's so hard with those kind of puzzles because if you have like a shooter mm-hmm. um, or like a, a platformer where you have to be quick or precise, it's a different type of challenge, right? But logical puzzles, uh, people have such a wide uh, range of ability to, to solve it and differently and in, in and how fast they solve it. Um, so finding that balance is really hard because we can you, we could have a puzzle that was um, super easy for one person and impossible for another because it's just that finding that balance uh, there and that's um, yeah it's, it's a very interesting thing. I can imagine. With. Yeah, no, I can imagine. We've neglected to talk about so far. Uh, cinematic and sound design and sound design is what I want to touch on first. If you don't mind Um, from the very opening moments, I feel like the score and the music is super important. Uh, 
but then also moments of silence where sound really plays a big part from enemies to traversal to ec the, the echo of little things. It's like, maybe I miss misheard this and you tell me Adam, but like there were moments where I feel as the camera panned or zoomed out sounds would be further away or closer to, uh, talk to me a bit about sound design. It's yeah. I mean, it's such a big part of, of the game, both music and sound. Uh, and I'm, I'm so happy that we had both Takeshi Furukawa as the composer and, and Setete who made the sound design. It's a, it's an Italian studio in Turin. Um, with, uh, yeah, I mean, they've been just so amazing. And they actually have this whole system that I don't think, like, maybe you play the whole game and you never figure out. But as you touched on that, you noticed, like, if you if you just stay still, like, in, in, in somewhere out in the nature in the game, uh, the sound the soundscape will start to change. Just as you are out in a forest, like, if you're walking, you can't hear all the sounds. But if, you, if you're staying still, you can start hearing, like, Fly, yeah. flies, and you can hear more like the birds in the background, and so they've they've actually implemented that system. They've paid so much detail and attention to a lot of stuff like that, or like that you can like hear things before you before you see them, just in the right spot, and yeah, there's a, there's a lot of details like that 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 I think really makes an experience like this. Um, because like all parts of it needs to be really at the highest level, I think, to really sell um, sell the adventure and the immersion of 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 you being there. Talk to me. and music is that? Would you say that's a similar concept? Yeah, definitely. So music wise, uh, I mean, it's it's quite a funny story because. I, I talked to you when we were at that conference and we got a lot of like criticism for uh, from from publishers that first one uh, at that at that conference I pitched the game like the elevator pitch was kind of uh, inside uh, plus the last guardian in a studio Ghibli universe um, and then there was this uh, this uh, journalist from the Daily Mirror there and he wrote, he really loved the game. Uh, how it looked and everything like that. So he wrote an article in the Daily Mirror and put our like key art and everything like that in there. Mm -hmm. And then Takeshi Furukawa, who's the composer of The Last Guardian, saw that article like scrolling just his feed mm -hmm. in, on the internet, and is and you know and he just it just stuck with him. And he 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 said to me afterwards he never done he never contacted uh, anyone like that before or after, but it was just something that day. And he saw that and he thought like, this project lo looks really interesting. So he sent me an email mm -hmm. and, you know, I thought it was a hoax because I mean, we just started, mm -hmm. you know, we were struggling and then, and, and also since I pitched the game uh, with that like elevator pitch with the last guardian and then that the composer of the last guardian contacts me and says like, Hey, do you have any composers for, for your game? I'm, I, I would be interested in like talking about it. Mm -hmm. So, and it was, then it was a long process. It took like two years before we actually um, signed, but it's been a, a magical process having him on board and he's just such a professional and he, and have such high, like um, creative standards. And, you know, he, he recorded the whole uh, soundtrack in Budapest, I was fortunate enough to be there as well. 
uh, with a uh, uh, hundred a hundred people, full a full orchestra like uh, wow. in, in the orchestra hall there, um, and yeah, it was just it was just uh, amazing to 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 have music of that quality in the game, and it really made makes all the difference I think, and really elevates the game. Um, to to a, such a higher level to 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 have it recorded also with real instruments, so I'm really happy for that. What a surreal moment too. Yes, man, that's a cool memory to get to have and in, in kind of in the back of your mind, yeah. Yeah, and you know, walking around there because I also had um, a film photographer with me, so we're actually gonna do like a behind the scenes short, like mini doco documentary of, of that we will release later mm-hmm. um but walking around in in that like uh, hall and just seeing these note sheets you know and seeing like planet of lana and seeing like the titles of the it was very special that's cool that's cool uh we had a lot of people write in questions adam a lot yep. of people a lot of questions for you this one comes from uh, nerd propellant uh, they would like to know what was the decision behind going with a fictional language for Lana uh, versus dialogue that people would be able to understand easily? Um, so the, the process behind that was because we started without any words at all, actually. So the, the original idea was to create the, the story and like having people understand it without anything. Uh, but as we prog- progressed through the development, we realized that since also since Lana gives commands to movie. So it started like she had a whistle and then, okay, but how she, like just different whistles and click sounds or how should she talk to movie? Like, and then it kind of grew from that, mm-hmm. that, okay, she should be able to talk to movie and then, uh, and then it expanded and Klaus, the scriptwriter and co-director created this language with its proper grammar and everything. So if you're like attentive, you can like learn it, even though it's simple, but still like have, has its structure and grammar and and uh, and and so on. So uh, and and we really thought that that also added uh, another layer. Even though you can't understand exactly what they're saying, you still can com- convey uh, more emotions in the storytelling um, in the dialogue with you know tonality of voice and and all that kind of things. So we think it it worked out uh, really well. I think so too. I was able to project kind of my thoughts and emotions onto Lana because I didn't know what she was saying, but I totally knew what she was saying. Um, I'm also, and maybe this is just coincidence or, or, you know, over overthinking, but uh, there was a phonetic inflection that I I picked up on with how she would, how different words were said. So uh, rather than Lana, it was always Lana. And I don't know if that's a language thing or, or whatnot, but it, I noticed it and it stood out to me. Yeah, that's interesting to, that you say. It's also one another interesting thing is that uh, all the voice actors is Italian also, since are also because we we did the casting with Swedish people mostly and and then Italian because our sound design studio is there and Francesco mm-hmm. was uh, sorting the recording and everything. Um. But I also think that because it's an imaginative language, we thought it was good also to have all the actors from the same country, you know, because mm-hmm. it kind of gives that 
credibility also that they have kind of the same um yeah to tone when they when they speak this and and the voice actors were so good and especially uh bianca zoe mantelli who mm -hmm. who plays uh, lana she was only 12 when she recorded uh, really? uh, yeah and it was her first job because he did the the francesco did the casting at uh like um, acting class uh -huh. school um, and this was her first like professional job and after that after this job the sound studio that you recorded the voiceover they hired her then after this for like like uh, netflix things and Mm -hmm. uh, those kind of things so it was really fun also to be able to uh, propel her career a little bit and she did such an amazing job on Lana yeah quite a feather in your cap go from acting class to uh acclaimed you know award-winning game yes there you go just enjoy that <laughs> uh let's see here my friend Ellery uh they wrote in with a couple questions as well uh they say there were so many different biomes uh things about thinking about like coloring black and white space uh did you go into development knowing that you wanted all of these different biomes or did the game kind of naturally evolve to have them no we actually did quite quite uh, uh we had it like all figured out like scene by scene like this spreadsheet of scenes like okay puzzle like uh, easy puzzle, hard puzzle, uh, like transport section, like uh, this narrative scene here. So we had this like big uh, uh, timeline basically of the whole game with biomes and everything. But then of course that evolved and changed a lot during the production and we kind of moved the whole section to another place because it made much more sense mm -hmm. uh, after a while and stuff like that. But regarding the biomes and the different like because one of the key things that we've thought that we've tried to keep to during development is making a fun game you know we didn't want to make a side scrolling puzzle adventure that was more of a walking simulator or so we still want like keep the variation both with like fun puzzles or new mechanics or new environments because that's what i think is fun also in games like when you can discover new places and like not reuse too much stuff um but we actually had more biomes planned so we scrapped actually uh, some well but, one of their questions also is is there dlc coming is that do we see those biomes again or in a sequel uh there's not going to be any dlcs i can i can uh, tell you that but we have um yeah i don't want to say too much but we have bigger plans for for the ip that's cool very nice so uh, Planet of Mui on the way, I'm sure, right? <laughs> you uh, touched on kind of the 2D platform not wanting to be a walking simulator. I find that interesting because in our game, there in your game, in the game that I play, uh, there's no combat. There are moments where you can dispatch enemies, you know, by way of environment, uh, but no direct combat. Can you talk a bit, a little bit about that? That's a choice. Yeah, it's definitely a choice. And it's that, you know, uh, I think it's really good for creativity when you put limit some limitations mm -hmm. um, in that process. And, you know, you play as this 11-year-old girl and it was a very early decision that she wasn't, uh, she wasn't uh, going to have any weapons of any kind. And that you had to use, like, your, your agility and, and wit 
uh, and the collaboration with your little uh, creature companion to to make it through the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, as you as you play the game, you get these kind of upgrades. So both Mui and and Lana gets um, gets um, an upgrade that they can use to. Um, so Mui has this like hypnotic ability, so she can control. Uh, some of the creatures of the planet, mm-hmm. which in turn lets you interact with them and the world in different fun ways. And Lana also has this uh, uh, upgrade that she gets, so that I won't spoil exactly what that is, but that you also can get to control other stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, sorry, I, I I don't remember the original question. <laughs> Just the idea of like no direct combat. I'm not walking through with oh, a yeah. sword. Not hopping on. Yeah. No, but I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's it's the core idea of this this thing that you go through the world with this young kid and her creature companion and and having having to figure out how. And I think that there's something very interesting in that that you feel like um, this feeling of being this underdog, but uh, still together you can you can make it. Uh, a number of people asked if there would be Moy merch. And I see that that wonderful little plush over your right shoulder. Um, is that something you guys are? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, this is actually one of the the only one that has a little weird tail. But yeah, this is how it looks. So this is a prototype. And there definitely will be um, Moe merch coming. Uh, but we just haven't gotten around. We we needed to focus on the game first. We're a small oh, studio. We're a small yeah. studio, and we had to get priorities straight. And uh, but yeah, it's definitely coming. Very cool. All right, so that's fun. Um, Jam Pack Sam wrote in and wants to know what's the spoiler-free impact that you're hoping uh, players uh, that players like get from the game. So the impact on players mm. from your game. I mean, uh, uh, so I, when I got the when I started dreaming about making games, I really wanted to because I've had so many great experiences myself with games, and mm-hmm. I think the best experiences I had was with games. You know, that stayed with me either through like the story or just uh, you know the world they presented or or whatever it, it, it was like inspiring or had an emotional impact. And I, I wanted to create a game that could stay with you after you were finished, even though Blanzolana is a short game and I really hope it can um, have a lasting impact on, on people. And, and uh, um, yeah, that that's basically it. But I can, uh, you know, it's it's really an experience if you haven't played our game, I think, um, and we got so much positive feedback. I get we get emails all the time from. I mean, that's the best thing I think with releasing the game. Like the like, we're so happy with the reviews and and everything. But it's so fun also getting these like emails mm-hmm. where people just from these like super fans who really really love the game because i mean games you like people like different kinds types of games this definitely mm-hmm. not everyone is gonna love uh planet of lana but like 
for me, this if I wouldn't make games, this would be my dream game to play. I would have been one of those people writing an email like, thank you so much for making this game. So, And I think the whole team has really, it's, it's really a labor of love. And I think you can feel that when you play the game. So um, I don't know if that answers the question. It was kind of a rant, but... Uh, no, it certainly uh, does. And one of the questions I often ask developers, and it's not a fair question, is, you know, like, are you happy with it? And I think you really answer. i am yeah i i am really happy and i i really believe also that i mean it can always be like i can see i can see things that could be better for sure it's not a perfect game but i think it's really hard to make i think even if you may if everyone would like uh love your game you would still see things that you would want to do better so and i think but i'm really really happy with the game i couldn't be more happier i think it's actually been it's actually uh, uh, been m- much more. It's it's. <laughs> I can't talk today, but it's it's. I'm so happy with it. It's it's exceeded my expectations from when I started working on it, and the reason for that is all the people in the team that has contributed to it, mm-hmm. and like yeah, the team we've created here at Wishfully, um, that just yeah, putting in all their creativity into the game made it. In, it spiral out of control into the great thing that it is today and i'm so excited also to uh, that this is just a beginning for our studio uh, that this is kind, kind of like the springboard uh to the next game it's been neat the next game oh, are you are you alluding uh no i mean we are going to make more games yeah. in, in the studio that's what i'm saying <laughs> I wasn't trying to catch you in anything. It was just like, wait, wait. Um, it has to feel cool to to be so proud of a project and see it so well received, both from critics and gamers alike. I mean, Xbox and PC gamers have really uh, flocked to this one. In a, in a year where we are being gifted some incredible indie, double, and triple-A titles, Planet of Lana seems to stand on its own, uh, getting praise. I mean, even... Uh, head of Xbox Phil Spencer was tweeting about your game and, and playing that. That has to feel good. It does feel uh, surreal also. It feels really good. And I'm so happy that Phil liked it as well. Um, yeah, it's been it's been surreal. It, it really has been. Uh, and just trying to take small moments of um, appreciation and, and like really feeling grateful for all. Um, for for that people like the game and that they play it and yeah so happy about that that's um i mean the thing you want making a game is that people get to experience what you've spent so many years and hard work on creating so so fun i feel like a lot of people got to experience the game as well because you brought it to xbox game pass and the the game is uh exclusive to xbox and pc uh, ex- exclusive to Xbox in terms of the console space. It's on Game Pass, which means you have uh, kind of an embedded audience there. But how does that conversation come up? To And how does the choice come up to, to be exclusive to any platform and then to go into Game Pass, the benefits of that and the drawbacks? I mean, uh, for for us, I've, uh, it's definitely only been very, very positive. Xbox has been... Uh, so great to work with and they've been so supportive and they really love in the games over there and um yeah i mean for us it was an easy decision i mean it's so hard 
making an, a game <laughs> in the first mm-hmm. place, making your first game, and it's even harder getting it out there for people mm-hmm. to know that it even exists. You can make the best game in the world, but then no one plays it and no one knows that it exists. So having that like extra boost of you know, having the game on Game Pass, lowering the bar of entry for players, players that maybe don't play this genre otherwise and might mm-hmm. be drawn in by the like key art or whatever, and then they just start and play it and try it. And that helps us a lot also um, because, you know, um, it's just that kind of organic marketing also that we get from them and, and, and proper marketing that we get from Xbox. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really been an easy decision for us and I think uh, been so positive. Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, Adam, I, I've kept you for a long time this, this morning uh, and I appreciate you taking that time. Is there anything that you want to pass on to listeners uh, that haven't tried the game uh, or things that you would like players to go back and find if they haven't seen it? Um, yeah, I, I can just like finish like for people that hasn't played the game or people who who has played the game which i think is an interesting thing about our game is that you can play it in such different ways that we see players play it you know they see it as a mission they just go through it they want to finish it quickly you know they solve the puzzles and then go forward but it's really one of those games that you can if you take the time to look at the details like the, the more attentive you are to the background and and all those we have a lot of details ex- explaining um, the backstory and the, the bigger lore of the whole universe. And so there's a lot of that to find there in the game, if you're interested in that kind of thing. But it's, I mean, it's totally fine to play it however you want it, but however you want, but just letting people know that there's there's a lot of details to, to discover as well. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, uh, Planet of Lana, developed, of course, by Wishfully. Uh, Adam, thank you so much for for joining us. Listeners, you can find Planet of Lana uh, on Xbox platforms for $19.99. It's also on Game Pass. It's also on PC. Uh, Check it out wherever you are. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, And you can find more XEP on all your podcast services and support us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash Xbox Expansion Pass. Adam, thank you once again for joining me. I am grateful for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Anytime.